Evernorth Health Services, we believe costs shouldn't get in the way of life-changing care. And we're doing everything in our power to make it possible. Behavioral health solutions that also keep your projections at their best? It's possible. Pharmacy benefits that benefit your bottom line? It's possible. Complex specialty care that cares about your ROI? It's possible. Because we're already doing it. All while saving businesses billions. That's wonder made possible. Learn more at evernorth.com slash wonder. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Hey, how's it going? This is Matt here from Silver Fortune. This is my weekly wrap-up video slash podcast where I pick a handful of different topics and markets to cover in a little bit more detail. So today we'll be talking about uh, precious metals, uh, let's see, the stock market, the the bond market, the the broader economy, a couple other topics as well. And I do want to start off by by talking about what the title of this video is is mentioning, that is uh, demand on the physical side of of silver and gold, in particular investment demand, and and why it's been looking pretty strong lately. And I I want to get to that here in just a second. But first of all, I did want to talk quickly about this uh, really unfortunate terrorist attack that occurred uh, last night uh, in the evening in New Zealand time, 49 dead in, in two separate mosques. Now, I don't want to talk too much about the the perpetrators. That uh, sounds like there were mar- multiple. I don't want to talk about who they are or their agenda or anything like that. They, they don't deserve um, any airtime on, on the Silver Fortune channel. It doesn't deserve any attention from me and, and probably doesn't deserve much attention from you guys either. But, you know, the big takeaway from this is that it's, you know, it's tragic. It's tragic to see any of, of these types of events happen, whether it's New Zealand, Australia, the United States, Canada, Europe. And notice I'm, I'm mentioning primarily Western countries here. And unfortunately, media and, and society has a bit of bias towards that. But but let's not forget about the countless terrorist attacks that happen, I think, much more often in places like Afghanistan, right? Iraq, Syria, uh, Somalia, uh, parts of Africa, uh, etc. Um, they're they're fairly common there. You know, forty nine dead in, in one of those countries would be a pretty large terrorist attack. But still, it's it's a you know this is the largest in, in New Zealand history, and yet death counts like that in some of these countries are, are you know very common. And, and I don't want to have too much of a bias towards a a, a um you know, a Western country or something like that. And yet here I am talking about it when oftentimes I don't talk about those other things. But but wherever we're talking about it, it is tragic. These are oftentimes civilians that are ultimately targeted. And, uh, you know, it's really unfortunate. And, and the other side of it is, is just how this is going to be immediately pushed by by politicians, whether they're in New Zealand, Australia, United States, elsewhere, for, you know, increased uh, uh, power for the government or you know, decreased liberty for the citizens or whatever. And that's just, it, it's, you know, it's an agenda, right? Um, never mind what the shooter's agenda is. We, we know beforehand uh, what the what the media and, and the politicians' agenda oftentimes is. So anyways, it, it's really tragic, um, again, regardless of, of religion, of, of nationality, of ethnicity, etc. Um, and it's a... Uh, yeah, I mean it's 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 a it's a you know broken world we live in, and and you know I, I've said it you know 
quite a bit on this channel. But but you know, it's events like these that that you know they they don't leave me asking like where is God or where is God and all of this. Um, if anything, for me, you know, as as a, a born again followers follower of Jesus, you know, this this leaves me, um, I guess, thankful that that I can put things in perspective and realize that yeah, we do live in a broken world. It's 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 um, this is proof that that we need God, right? Because we we've tried for hundreds, thousands of years to try and fix these things as as humans, and we failed. You know, we we need. Um, we need a savior in, in all of this. And I know many of my viewers, listeners will, will maybe disagree with that, but, but that's my take on it. And, and, you know, this is, uh, you know, something that weighs heavy on my heart. So I want to talk about it here quickly, but moving on, if we can, you know, after that, uh, kind of depressing open here, uh, I wanted to move into, uh, silver and gold demand. So, uh, primarily we looking at American Eagle or, or I should say us mint, but, but American Eagle sales and, uh, Perth, Perth mint sales, uh, Australia. Um, so first of all, this is 2018 numbers here. So silver, uh, in January and February and March, you can kind of see the numbers here real quick. Um, you know, a little over 3 million in January, just shy of a million in February and March last year. And then on the gold side of things, you had almost 60,000 ounces in the first month of 2018 and then a very small amount you know uh combined uh what is that 9000 ounces between february and march last year fast forward to 2019 we're seeing a somewhat of a different picture you're actually seeing much stronger demand over 4 million ounces in january over 2 million in february and, and some at some point here in february or march they actually halted american eagle sales because i think they were expecting demand to be similar to, to what it was last year and so I think they, they ran out of, of blanks that I think are supplied by what Sunshine Mint or something like that. So uh, I would guess that's where the bottleneck was. I don't, I don't know for sure, ultimately. Maybe they, they released it in their, their press statement or somebody else has, has talked about this. But over 2 million in February. And then in March, you know, we're halfway through March and that's already 850,000. Um, as a reminder, last year, you know, it was it barely ended above 900,000. So, so a pretty strong month already in March after two strong months, comparatively speaking. Now, if we brought up 2015 or 16 numbers, uh, they would kind of blow this out of the water. And maybe we will here in a second, actually. Uh, looking at gold, uh, total ounces sold 66,000 in January, so it was better than last year. And then in February and March, a combined total of 21,000. So that's like more than twice what we had last year in these two months. You know, the first month of the year is usually when when dealers are, are looking to to restock their inventory and so that's why those numbers um are, are so much larger and then you know you get a real sense of, of where the demand is afterwards and again it's been fairly strong you know real quick maybe we can look at 2000 a different year here let's see here uh, american eagle we'll go to uh 2016 that's that's relatively recent um, 2016 numbers just to put these in comparison to 2019 and show that it's rebounded from last year but we're still a, a ways away. So total uh, gold sold, um, 124, 83, 5, and 38,000 in the first three months. Again, compared to this year, I mean, <laughs> kind of blows them out of the water. 66,000, 12, 5, and, and 8, 5,000. Um, so quite a bit less, but still it's, it's a rebound. It's positive, right? And again, going to silver, um, very different picture. First three months, you had upwards almost six million ounces in January, almost you know close to five million, um, a little over four and three quarter million ounces in February, and then over four million in March. 
and thus far in in 2000, uh, 2019 we, we've sold maybe a total of a little over you know going on I'd say mm, seven million right so it's a very different picture today than where it was uh, in 2016 or 15 or some years prior, but it's rebounding. And I think that's positive. I've, 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 I've gotten a lot of comments from, from people, even just here on YouTube about how um, they're just getting into silver and gold. You know, the other thing, you know, and I want to be consistent about this. You know, I said in for a good chunk of 2018 towards the end of the year, when, when demand was falling at the U S mint compared to years prior that, that maybe the American Eagles, are are not as good of a proxy for investment demand as years past because uh, 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 international mints and private mints have just so many more products for investors. Now I get it, silver eagles are, are some people are going to stick to them as as all of their stack or a good chunk of their stack, and they're not going to move into these other products as much. But you know I think a lot of people are right. You have a host of products from Perth Mint. Um, you, you have uh, Chinese pandas, you have the Libertad, you have quite a bit out of out of the Royal Canadian Mint. You have the Royal Mint over in the UK, you have Austrian Philharmonics, Armenian Noah's Arks, you have uh, a handful of other smaller coins, and I'm probably still forgetting a, a, a big coin series out there or something. But And then you have private mints. I mean, that's just more government-oriented mints. So even with you know demand rising, I still don't think it's as good of a proxy as it has been in the past because there's more options that exist out there. So speaking of another option, I also wanted to talk about Perth Mint. Now uh, they they don't tabulate it quite as nicely, but they do have you know they release I think on a monthly basis, and and they have a chart here to show you kind of how it's moved from month to month. So this is February 2019. Um, they they do show you the numbers if somebody wanted to tabulate, tabulate this or put it into a table. I'm sure somebody has. Over a half million ounces of silver, not bad. Gold, uh, close to 20,000 ounces of silver. So this is, a, as you can see in this chart, a bit of a departure from you know where it was towards the, the second half of 2018 with silver. Actually, over a million ounces there, at least one month. Excuse that. Uh, and gold, you know, um, if you can check out the chart over here, you know, around, you know, 50,000, 60,000 ounces, pretty strong. You know, Perth Mint is a pretty big dealer. Now, I, I wish we could get more data from places like the, the Royal Canadian Mint. Um, actually, I was looking the other day and I couldn't find a whole lot of great data, recent data. I don't know if they release it anymore, right? If we can get more information from from uh, the private mints and whatnot. Unfortunately, we just, it's, it's either very difficult to, to find or, or impossible. So, this is kind of what we have to work with. I'm, I'm sure there's other mints out there too. We can find yearly data, maybe monthly data on something like the Austrian Philharmonic or something from the Royal Mint. But, but still, uh, these are decent proxies for for demand. But um, ultimately, we, we, you know, a lot of this is is going to be best determined by you know those those yearly reports like the World Silver World Silver Survey. Or you know even you, you can sometimes get a feel for this from from those that uh, sell precious metals, whether it's in the uh, vaulting business or the uh, retail um, business uh, for physical delivery. Um, I'm talking big dealers, Appmex, SD Bullion, Provident, Jam Bullion, etc. Um, but of course, I don't know how often they release uh, their their official numbers, um, if ever, how transparent they are about that, which is fine. I mean, their business, they have things to, to worry about. But anyways, still, it's encouraging that it has been moving up. Um, and and what's that, what that's telling me is that there are um, 
well, a people are taking advantage of i think these still very low prices especially for silver in my opinion don't take any of this as investment advice but that's my opinion and and also it's telling me that there's i think new people moved into the space for for whatever reason right but people that haven't uh really been in fact i just got a comment the other day saying you know I, hey i listen to your stuff all the time when i'm going, driving to work uh and and i'm just getting ready to make a new purchase i mean that's that's big i, I think this is something that we're seeing a bit of turnover in sure some people are selling or, or just not buying anymore but there's a lot of people that are moving into this space now and that's that's encouraging to to see uh stack and move on to to another uh group of people potentially a new generation right millennials and, and gen z and whatnot so moving on um we'll talk a bit real quick here about the price uh so so the big number here so basically what was it last week or no we're looking at about two weeks ago, uh, gold moving down quite a bit and ultimately below 1300 which is kind of a key number right now. And then earlier this week, it moved back above and then fell back below. And as we speak right now, as you can see, about 1302 1303 uh, So if it closes at or above where it's at right now, I think that's very positive um, for the end of the week. We're, we're talking Friday here. So this is 10, 14 a.m. Central Time. So we'll see where it ends up going. Um, but, but that's that's positive. It closes above that. If below, we'll see. But but my bias is that it's going to close above. We'll see. Fridays have been spotty, but sometimes they've been very strong days for for gold towards the end of the week. So we'll see here. Um, silver, on the other hand, uh, has been kind of lagging behind, as you can see, about fifteen dollars thirty one ish cents. So yeah, still kind of lagging behind it. That's evidenced by this uh, gold-silver ratio chart that we're looking at right here. Excuse the pop-ups. About 85 to 1. 85.1 to 1, which is you know, pretty high. Um, and that, again, goes to show you that gold just kind of outperformed. Or I should say it didn't fall as far as silver did, right? Um, and yet, you know, I'll reiterate my, my quick in 30 seconds here what I'm expecting. Um, if gold can can keep this rally going that started back in you know november both silver and gold between here and 1350 or 1360 which is the next key resistance for gold i see this ratio shrinking somewhat if gold can break through that the next resistance i see is 1400 ratio will continue to shrink through that i don't know what it'll be 85 uh, to one right now maybe 80 to one then 78 or something but then once it moves to 1400 i think there's a lot of space before it finds some solid resistance again for gold who knows what type of environment this will be in and we're going to see that ratio shrink much much more if you're looking for the 40 or 50 or whatever to one or even lower uh, i think that would be the time period that we, we would see that for for a whole uh, variety of reasons but anyways moving on beyond uh, precious metals here um the dow uh, I want to talk quickly about the Dow market. Now, this is a, what, a one-month, uh, this looks like a three-month chart, I'm guessing. We'll look at a six-month chart. Okay. So, as you can see, it's, it's pulled back a bit from its, its um, I guess, highs in, in February. It's February highs. And, of course, the S&P is moving, you know, similarly. Maybe the Dow has suffered a little bit more because of of uh, the, the train wreck that, that Boeing has been. Uh, in fact, maybe we could see that if we brought up uh, the, the SPX. Uh, a bit of divergence yeah maybe a little bit i don't know it's hard to say but but i use them almost interchangeably but either way uh they they have uh you know s p is currently actually above its february highs dow's a little bit below so maybe we'll focus on the s p since maybe it's a better one to to uh worry about right now but anyways um up over 2800 you know this is this is one of those time periods in which i see 
I see the stock market, you know, the only real strong argument for it being here other than, you know, like technicals or, or algos, algorithms or whatever would, would be the whole idea that the rest. This episode is brought to you by La Quinta by Window. Your work can take you all over the place, like Texas. You've never been, but it's going to be great because you're staying at La Quinta by Wyndham. Their free bright side breakfast will give you energy for the day ahead. And after, you can unwind using their free high-speed Wi-Fi. Tonight, La Quinta. Tomorrow, you shine. Book your stay today at LQ.com. The world is burning or eventually heading towards that. And, and that, you know, U.S. stocks are one of the few equity safe havens around um, that would be kind of the one argument if somebody said that and I said, okay, yeah, maybe, right? There's a lot going on in, um, in Europe and in, in, in China and in Japan. Uh, maybe not Japan quite as much, but certainly Europe and China to to really make me worry about the future of their, their economies over the short term. And, and I understand the idea that maybe some of that money is going to shift into U.S. equities or bonds or whatever, which we'll see here as well. Bonds have, have been rising quite a bit. Uh, but otherwise, you know, this is a, otherwise looks like a, a bit of levitation, right? If we can quickly switch gears to the economy, right? This is the um, Fed, uh, land of Fed GDP now forecast, which this is a blue chip consensus. So a lot of the big, I guess, uh, projections out there um, expecting as of, of earlier in March for, for quarter one GDP to be between, you know, like 2.3 and, and what, like 0.7%. Um, right now, Atlanta Fed is projecting 0.4% GDP. Um, and, and this is from an Atlanta Fed that historically, I feel like, has has always projected very high early on, right? As soon as the, the first estimate comes out, they'll be like 5% growth. And then like a week later, they'll be like, actually, we looked at like more than one piece of data and we're looking at like 3% growth. And then it's like 1% growth. But so who knows? I mean, we could be close to zero. Now, we could be negative. Of course, unfortunately, as is always the case when we have poor numbers, there's always some excuse. And so it's going to be weather and the government shutdown, right, for Q1. And and then they'll say, well, we'll see what Q2, Q2 is like and, and whatever. And these numbers are massaged heavily anyways. They're you know, manipulated, uh, maybe not quite to the extent that, say, Chinese numbers are. But would it be so outlandish to say that they are maybe you know manipulated that much or pretty close to that? I mean, it's... I don't think that's a stretch at all, or at least to some extent. And, and, and that's a bit of a bias, again, that shows up in a lot of analysts. They'll say, China's data is, you know, we're, we're going to trade on and everything, but we know it's manipulated. But then when they look at U.S. data, they're like, yeah, seems legit. And, and I'm not so sure about that. So especially when you when you take into account that that GDP, um, uh, the, the growth that they're talking about here, I believe is generally... Uh, takes into account inflation and whatnot and and so you know if you're looking at the total gdp growth obviously you have to worry about what inflation is and if inflation is actually higher than what's stated by the government what's reported then well gdp is going to be lower you know the, the the real gdp not not the uh what the nominal growth or whatever not counting for inflation so Again, getting back to the stock market, it seems like it's kind of doing a levitating act right now. It feels, you know what it feels a lot like? It's not so much like October, right, where you have this hawkish Fed coming in or whatever. What it feels like to me is, if I can go back a little bit further, it feels a lot like February. I don't know. Just this mad rally that we had. February of last year when we had this huge rally and then just a tank and a spike in the VIX. Now, totally different mechanisms and whatnot, but 
But this has been a rapid rally. I mean, it barely went down along the way. Uh, just little dips along the way, all the way up to to a, a decent retracement of its of its you know highs, uh, a decent retracement of its crash, I should say, uh, and and then again a dip, but but again a very strong recovery that just doesn't uh, it doesn't make sense to me, right? Stocks haven't made sense to me for a long time. If we're looking at solely fundamentals or valuations, and yet they've been very high, very overvalued for a long time. I, I just wonder how much longer can they do this, right? Um, and, and that kind of brings me to the next topic here. How much longer can the bond market do it? Now, first of all, the bond market, it's it, now remember, this is yields we're looking at, right? So if I superimposed upon this, the price, this could give you an idea of how um, price in the bond markets moves uh, inverse to, to uh, uh, and that's not even giving me a good, I don't even know what I'm looking at now. How, how price moves inversely to to yield, right? So, ten year, yeah, it should. Earlier, it gave me a very different picture of, of what the price is looking at. Um, anyways, what I'm trying to say here, maybe if we looked at the one month chart, let's give you a better price. There we go. Okay, this makes sense. So, you look at the price here. Price goes up when the yield goes down. Makes sense, right? Um, and so. The, the bond market has been performing very well. And again, you have to ask yourself, is this all from abroad or something like that? And, and maybe. I mean, the last uh, uh, treasury auction actually saw quite a bit of strong foreign demand. Uh, but otherwise, I mean, yields have been falling. And, and usually, I mean, this type of a fall from you know almost 2.8, 2.76 or 7.7, all the way down to like below 2.6, you, if I ask somebody, you know, what is the stock market probably doing during this time span? Right. If bonds are rising, then you'd expect the, the stock price to be falling during this time span. And yet, again, if we superimpose over this something like the SPX, you get a very different story. Right. The stocks have been rising. It just doesn't make sense to me. But again, going back to the stock market and how the valuations don't don't seem to matter or or, or fundamentals or whatever. Same thing goes for the U.S. bond market. You know, moving into this next recession, I, I talk a lot about the bond market and how it's a massive bubble. And I don't want people to to think that I, I'm saying that as you move into another recession or depression or the stock market crashes, that yields are going to go immediately up, right? They might do what they've done in the past during recessions, and that is fall as the stock market rises, or sorry, as the stock market falls, yields fall and, and, and bond prices rise because of the safe haven bid. But long term... I, those fundamentals are going to have to matter. And I, I, you know, the stock market falling, you know, 30, 40% or something like that, that's me a big deal, right? When it kind of comes back down to earth, it could fall much more than that. But, but the bond market, that's the real bubble that I'm waiting to pop. And this might be a couple of years out yet. Who knows? Another year or two. Uh, but never mind the 30 or 40% drop in, 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 in the stock market or more. If we're seeing the bond market, right, for instance, at the U.S. 10-year, move up to a 4% yield, 5%. I mean, that's going to be huge, not only for, for deficit spending and, and whatnot, uh, trying to fund the, the interest rate on the debt, but, but also um, the amount of, of money that's held in these bonds and just the massive size of these bonds. And it's, you know, it's really uh, the U.S. bond market, the importance to, to the U.S. economy, stock market in dollar and, and ultimately the u.s government cannot be understated and and you know much like if the the u.s dollar was was kicked out from underneath the u.s economy market 
uh, government, etc. I think the same is true for the bond market, right? Um, and so yields could go much lower in, in the case of a crash, but I think they're going to have to go much, much higher unless, you know, there's some extraordinary policy undertaken by the Fed and, and other governments to, to suppress these yields. But as can do very little, I think, ultimately to, to suppress uh, inflation. So finally, the last thing I wanted to talk about here was actually an article I saw over on Zero Hedge. Media hit job continues as Colbert ambushes Tulsi Gabbard. So for those of you guys that aren't, this is actually written by, by uh, Caitlin Johnston, Johnstone from uh, viamedium.com. Um, so long story short, if you guys don't know who Tulsi Gabbard is, she's a... Uh, democratic um, uh, politician. Uh, I think she's in the House. And, and, and she's running, uh, or maybe she's in the, yeah, I think she's in the National House. I, I'd have to check on that. Because I think she's in like the U.S. Armed Services Committee or Foreign Affairs Committee or something like that. Um, but anyways, uh, she's running for president. Okay. Now, she's a Democrat. And I'm not a fan, I think, a lot of what her politics likely are. I, I, I haven't right up on all of them, right? Um, go down the list, right? Uh, uh, gun control or, or increased uh, socialization of, of medicine or, or what have you. Um, I'm sure lots for very liberal policies, abortion, whatever it is, I'm, I'm not a fan of, okay? But in terms of foreign policy, she comes off as very, um, I don't know, correct, um, accurate, uh, uh, I guess, in tune with reality, right? She's not living in this universe that Colbert is kind of talking about here, where, where the U.S. is universally seen as a force for good that can act as as some sort of moral authority around the world and, and go around and engage in regime change and whatnot. So basically what happened is she came on his show. Now, Colbert is a bit of a political guy, but this is also supposed to be kind of a a, a comedy type talk show thing and and there's little to no comedy once he got to his question in here he basically was talking her to her about her foreign policy stance and he says was iraq a mistake and she says yeah or, or was it worth it i think he said and she says yeah or sorry no it wasn't worth it and the audience applauses right and he says was is is syria worth it and she says no and he says well what about you know isis and and what about you know do you think isis could have been defeated without the u.s and she basically says well you got to understand that it was created, basically what she says is created in a vacuum that was created by U.S. regime change, uh, attempt to, to change the, the uh, Syrian regime, started in 2011 by the CIA. And, and he goes on into this, well, what about you know Bashar al-Assad? Isn't he a war criminal? You met with him. Like, basically, how dare you meet with this guy, you, you monster? Um, don't you have any morals? And she's like, I met with him to, to promote peace because... And he's like, well, isn't the U.S. you know a force for good? And and she's basically like, to to be a force for good, you have to do good. And and the result of all these regime changes in Iraq, Syria, Libya, um, uh, I'm probably forgetting about some other ones. Uh, they've been not positive. They have been not good, right? Uh, and, and it came off as very coherent. I don't agree with maybe everything she says in in that sense. She was talking about you know these gas attacks and how there's evidence that Bashar al-Assad did them. And I don't know. I think you know there's there's it's 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 hard to know. I, I can't say I know, but there's also compelling evidence and and also the motive for you know terrorists, whether it's ISIS or or um, quote unquote moderate rebels that the U.S. is supporting to to create a false flag event. I'm not saying that's what happened. I don't know. But she said that it's probably, they probably did it, but also 
some terrorist organizations, which, by the way, the U.S. are probably supporting in Syria, have probably used them as well. So I, I don't know if I, I can't say I see eye to her, eye to eye with her on that, because ultimately we don't know. I don't. But but otherwise, I mean, she came off as very coherent. She gave a very good, strong response. I think a lot of the audience liked it. And and it was just an example of the the left going after one or one of their own because of a non um, conforming uh, ideology when it comes to to foreign policy and and U.S.'s you know war policy. I mean that's let's call it what it is. What we have with Syria and and what we had with Iraq and Libya was not foreign policy. It was war policy, right? Department. It's like calling Department of Defense defense, right? Let's go overseas and be on the offense. And call it defense. It's 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 so Orwellian, right? Um, but uh, no, it came off very coherent, very persuasive, and and the left could do worse, I think. <laughs> for for a um, again, I don't know all for other politics, right? But but as far as uh, foreign policy, I think spot on, right? Uh, pretty close. You know, he even came out and he, he was talking about how other people have endorsed or what wasn't. I can go down in this article. It was um, uh, David Duke. Um, white supremacist and has has talked about he he uh, agrees with her and some stuff or whatever or Steve Bannon or what was the other one Matt Gates or something I wasn't even familiar with his name and uh, it's just like who cares like that's a, that's like that's like a, I don't know that's like saying to you know uh, you know it's say Hillary Clinton right somebody on the left that would have been in favor of interventions and, and war and whatnot and say. Um, what what do you think of the idea that Dick Cheney agrees with what you say, right? Or or, or somebody far on uh, somewhere on the right or something. Although Dick Cheney maybe isn't far enough right, but but if you said something like that, it's just like what? Like who who cares? Like obviously she has little to no connection to to Steve Bannon or David Duke or something like that. It's, it's it's an attempt. It's a smear campaign, and it's it's a uh, it backfired, I think, on Colbert ultimately. Um, so so I hope that. The media continues to. And this is not the first time she's been attacked. She was attacked by NBC, you know, a month or something like that ago about how she's she has connection to like Russian bots or propaganda or something. And almost immediately, people are like, "No, this is fake news that you're putting out. Like, why are you no?" Um, but but it'll probably continue. Um, we'll see if the media allows her to kind of be a part of the the broader conversation. Unfortunately, she's in a very crowded uh, field. We recently saw beta beta. O'Rourke of, of Texas, who, who failed to to um, win the Senate seat in, in Texas against Ted Cruz. Now he's running for president as well. So crowded field on the left. Um, anyways, that's my political talk today. I don't want to get into politics too much. You guys know I'm not a leftist. I'm not a fan of, I, I likely would not vote for her. But again, the left could do worse uh, in terms of foreign policy. So anyways, I hope you enjoyed this this video, this talk today. Um, as always, if you have questions, if you have, have ideas for future videos, etc., leave them down below in the comment section. I'll try and get to them. As always, I'd like to thank you guys from the bottom of my heart for watching this video, listening to this podcast, and God bless.